Hello and welcome to the Gamecocks.com podcast, the official podcast of Gamecockscoop.com. I'm Caleb Alexander, joined by Alan Cole. Um, before we get into recruiting, I did just want to really quickly share this little Spencer Rattler clip from his Tuesday press conference. So let me do that. You know, I feel like these last two weeks specifically have gotten us back on track, you know, with scoring points. Um, no matter who the opponent is, you know, we, we definitely got more confidence rolling into um, SEC play. All right. So you heard it from Spencer Rattler. Uh, the Gamecocks are feeling a bit more confident heading into SEC play, maybe than they were feeling heading into that two-game stretch of Arkansas and Georgia, which I would much rather play Kentucky and Texas A&M as well, I think, than that two-game stretch. So, um, Before we get too deep into the weeds of the game, we will talk about whether or not we agree um, with Rattler's assessment there that the offense has gotten better. I mean, numbers-wise, back-to-back 50 points games, it's hard to argue too much with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting and I only have bad news <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the most part in recruiting right now. Uh. Um, so let's see last Friday in the weekly recruiting wrap up, I put a future cast in for Jordan Butler, four star center power forward, depending on, uh, how he projects at the next level out of Christchurch in Greenville, South Carolina. So in-state recruit. I put in a future cast for him to go to South Carolina because we had heard that from someone who uh, has been very reliable to us. Um, and to his credit, uh, yesterday before um, before it, things went the other way, so Jordan Butler ultimately committed to Missouri. Uh, but before that, he had kind of been like, uh, I'm not so sure. Missouri's feeling good. Um, and so, I mean, I had already, I don't ever base things off just one person anyway. So I'd done some due diligence and I shared it with the board. So definitely follow the insiders forum for all the latest on that. I mean, the weekly recruiting wrap up wraps everything up. Um, but I have little bits throughout the week on other stuff. So what I basically said is both staffs felt confident, um, which was true. Um, so our guy had to talk to people on South Carolina staff that felt confident. And, um, I talked to some folks at Missouri and they felt confident. And my understanding is Jordan Butler hadn't really told either staff, um, which way he was going to go before he actually decided or before he committed on Instagram live yesterday. So it was a surprise to everyone, um, including South Carolina staff, Missouri staff, all of that. Um, ultimately it came down to a relationship he had with a associate head coach at Missouri, CY Young, who, you know, he's developed several NBA players over the years and, uh, Jordan Butler felt like that was a better fit for him. Um, that one sings for sure. Lamont Paris had some early in-state recruiting momentum, thought that might carry into this one. Uh, but now you regroup and you look at guys like in the 2024 class, Cam Scott, who is out of Lexington, South Carolina. That's a very important um, point guard, shooting guard sort of uh, recruit that they're going to look at. And, you know, I don't think the 2023 class is over yet either. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on pivots that they might make from there. But, I mean, no real way to slice it other than pretty disappointing. Um, another thing that you guys are not going to love to hear uh, is I'm pretty sure – 
at this point that Mazio Bennett is trending towards Tennessee. He's set to announce next week, uh, or I guess about 10 days from now on the 16th. And yeah, I mean, he's visited South Carolina more than any place else. He's got a longer standing relationship with South Carolina's staff. Um, but his most recent visit was to Tennessee. He seems pretty impressed with their offense, which hard to blame him there. Um, you know, they have a five-star quarterback coming in the 23 class that would be still there throwing around the ball um, in 2024. You know, there's a lot for a wide receiver to to like there, but that's another tough one where it's an in-state guy that you've had this long-standing relationship with. Um, you know, it's 2024, so maybe you have some time to, even if he does commit to Tennessee next week, maybe you have some time to rebuild that a little bit. But, uh yeah, neither of the neither of those are good news. Um, hopefully, we'll have some more good news on the recruiting front coming soon. I will have a couple more um, news and notes for tomorrow's weekly recruiting wrap up. But those are definitely two major headlines there. And you know, you just got to keep at it and hope that the chips fall fall a little better next time. That's all you can do. I mean, um, yeah. Now. Let's get to some good news. I mean, you know, you never want to call an injury good news, but uh, some interesting news as far as South Carolina and Kentucky's matchup this weekend goes. So late last night, um, some buzz on Twitter started to develop that Will Levis was nursing some sort of injury. There are all these rumors about him in a walking boot and like all this sort of stuff, sort of stuff. Um, and Kentucky sports radios, Twitter is the one I think that we ultimately went with. He's, he seems like a pretty trustworthy guy. Um, basically just said he's questionable. And I reached out to, um, Justin Rowland, Rowland. I actually don't know his last name. He is the publisher at Cats Illustrated, which is the rivals, um, Kentucky site and talked to him this morning and he put it as, very questionable. <laughs> um, so the biggest thing to me, and I believe um, I saw this on Twitter a little bit too, is that the line dropped from like 10 and a half to six or something. Um, so yeah. it seems like at least the people in Vegas think that there's a pretty good chance that Will Levis isn't playing this weekend. Um, I guess we'll see for sure on game day. They haven't come out and ruled him out or anything. Everyone's saying questionable, 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 but um, you know, you see a four and a half point swing in a line like that. Yeah. You have to think somebody's got some information. Yeah, I was having this conversation with someone else last night. Like, this isn't the NFL. There's no league mandated injury report. Like, we're just going to get to the stadium Saturday. Um, I will be in Lexington Saturday. Um, and we're not to see. But like you said, four and a half point swings don't just happen. Um, I would say if you have a couple sources, you had KSR, Kentucky Sports Radio, and the Athletics, Kentucky Beat Writers, and there's some stuff going on there with this, excuse me, with a walking boot. Um, obviously, I don't know. I think if you're South Carolina, you have to prepare for both, which is something we're going to talk about in a little bit. But it seems like he's at the very least not 100%. Like, I think we can say that pretty conclusively. Right, which, I mean, pretty much everyone saw the broken finger dislocated finger or whatever on his non-throwing hand uh in the game last week but i think the the foot if that's what it is is a little bit um 
unexpected. So yeah, we, uh, by the way, if you follow GamecocksGroup.com, we, Alan formed about that on the Gamecocks forum last night. I mean, it was pretty late, like almost 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock <laughs> but yeah. it was there, uh, or some of you maybe, yeah, maybe some of you woke up and saw it this morning, but yeah, that would be a pretty big swing. And, and the question then is if Will Levis is out, one who's going to back him up, which it sounds like the, the lead guy there would be Kaya Sharon, who is a sophomore who's never thrown a collegiate pass. Um, and the number two sort of distinct point here, and it's something that I saw you tweet about, uh, is does this game take on a different meaning without Levis? Like it always felt like a, a game that uh, we we talked, you know, between Kentucky and Texas A&M, they probably need to find a way to win one to two. Um, but I think if you're you're missing Levis, who is projected as a you know first round draft pick or whatever by by many people. And you have someone replacing him that's never thrown a collegiate pass. Um, you have to think South Carolina's chances go up significantly. And I believe you even called it a must-win game at that point. I'll be honest. I thought this was – I don't want to say must-win. I'll say close to a must-win before the Levis news just because you think about what what are we talking about on Sunday if they lose? We're talking about another road loss. We're talking about one in eight against Kentucky in the last nine. We're talking about – 0-3 in conference play. We're talking about 14 days to marinate on the fact that their only wins this season are over Georgia State, Charlotte, and an FCS opponent. Um, because of all that, I thought this was a game they probably needed to find a way to at least keep competitive or maybe steal anyway. Now you're at the point where you're facing Kaya Sharon, maybe, or you're facing Will Levis, at least not at his best first-round draft pick kind of caliber health-wise. You really, it would be a really, really good idea to find a way to win this game if you're South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about Kentucky's weapons, right? They have they 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 went most of the first part of the season without Chris Rodriguez, who came back last week, had a pretty good game. Um, I believe they were only averaging two point six yards a rush, or maybe even less. It was, but it less than three yards a rush before that. Um, South Carolina, though, has been exploited on the perimeter and run game. So I fully expect, and I wrote this um, for my preview that I switched with um, the Kentucky site, the Kentucky rival site. Um, I fully expect Chris Rodriguez to get 100 yards or whatever. Um, now, yeah. now, maybe even more so because they're going to lean on him pretty heavily. Um, but I do think they've had that um, receiver trio of Tavion Robin Barry and Brown and Dane Key as all very dangerous guys that have kind of made some big plays thus far this year. And now the question becomes, are they less of a factor? Because, you know, we don't know if Kaya Sharon uh, or a hampered Will Levis is going to be as effective at getting them the ball in space. Uh, do you think opens up some opportunities if you can put some pressure on Kentucky by slowing down that run game? The run game is the wild card here. I mean, we definitely don't have to explain to South Carolina fans Chris Rodriguez. I mean, he's played the Gamecocks his whole career and torched them. I mean, he had 26 carries in that game in Columbia last year for 144 yards. He had three touchdowns in the 2020 game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that's where the ball's going to go. He's going to lead Kentucky in touches Saturday night, whether that's in the running game or through screen passes or both. Um, and then I think the screen passes point is where you – kind of 
I don't want to say that's what's going to decide the game, but South Carolina struggled with those a lot against Arkansas, a lot against Georgia. Even in the first half against Charlotte, we saw a few of them go for big plays. And if you have a quarterback with limited, either limited mobility or maybe you don't trust to throw the ball down the field if it's Sharon and you're Kentucky, that's where the screen passes come into play. You're going to get a lot of bubbles, a lot of smokes. Um, I don't know, running back screens for Rodriguez probably. Um, just quick releases, quick drops that can try to get these playmakers a ball in space for Kentucky. And whether it's Levis or Sharon, South Carolina is still going to have to find a way to deal with that. Yeah, and I think that this also makes special teams that much more important, um, which, you know, South Carolina, I don't know if they have the advantage on, but they spend a lot of time on. Um, and something that, it, that Ole Miss struggled with last week was keeping Barry and Brown, um, yeah. who I think did Pete Lumbo come up with a fun nickname for? The Red um, Barry, yeah. Well, what was it? The Red Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Red Barry. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to keep him contained so that they can continue to keep Kentucky uh, out of advantageous field position um, and make them somehow manufacture long drives down the field through the run game and through yeah, you know, short passes, screens, whatever. Or <laughs> maybe Kaya Sharon is going to come out never throw on a collegiate pass and just chug it down the field. But I'm not expecting that for sure. You know, you say that, though, and, like, I get it. We're not dealing with an Alabama or an Ohio State situation here. But I we talk about this all the time. Like, Kentucky wouldn't have recruited him if he didn't have talent. Like, whether it's Ohio State winning the national title with a third-string Cardell Jones a few years ago, whether that's – Alabama after Tua went down and that would have been what 2019 still putting up a, a bazillion points um Clemson lost this game but when Trevor Lawrence had COVID in 2020 and DJ Uyangle made his first career start on the road at Notre Dame and they took it in to think double overtime the back, back of quarterbacks are not a guaranteed win like I don't want South Carolina fans to see Levis not playing and think they don't have to watch the game or something um Kaya Sharon can hurt you Kentucky's playmakers can hurt you and this is still going to be a challenge for the defense. And I think a lot of it comes down to what Clayton White wants to do with an opposing quarterback. He says, if it's Sharon, he has zero film on at the college level, like literally zero. Yeah. So just looking at Sharon Rivals' profile, he was class of 2021 pro style quarterback. He's got a good size, he's 6'3. Um, he was 200 pounds coming out of high school. I imagine he's bigger than that now. Um, Alan, are you like shaking your leg or anything? <laughs> your table was wobbling a little bit. Anyway, um, he's an in-state guy out of Somerset, Somerset, Kentucky. Um, and really, Kentucky just beat West Virginia and Marshall for him. But I mean, let's see, twenty twenty, West Virginia was that um, the guy that's at Houston now was that the head coach back then? No, that's still that's still uh, Neil Brown there. Holgerson. That would have been gotcha. I believe that would have been Neil Brown's first year. So yeah, I mean there 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 weren't a ton of offers that went his way, but obviously he's worked his way up the depth chart, um, solidified that position as the backup. And yeah, I mean he's gonna be talented enough to start for an SEC program. So yeah, I'm not saying that he's not gonna have any success, but I I think it's also reasonable to expect a drop off from someone like Will Levis. Yeah, for sure. That's not what the question is, whether it's going to be a drop off or not. It's more just can 
um, Kaya Sharon or a 50, 70, 30, whatever percent Will Levis beat South Carolina. That's kind of what this comes down to. Yeah, and um, I believe you you already touched on this a little bit, but like, yeah, how does South Carolina feel if they get beat by Kaya Sharon? Um, and I've seen, seen it before. I actually saw um, beneath your announcement of this, uh, one of our message board posters, I think it was D Dave. Um, <laughs> he like made up a uh, press release. A game from story. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, from after the game and said, you know, <laughs> that Sharon threw for four touchdowns or, or whatever. And, um, you know, we, South Carolina has had a history of, um, say, actually in the series, uh, making the backup look pretty pretty good um I, there was a game several years back where i can't remember the guy's name now i feel like he's probably in the nfl though um oh it was uh he got drafted by the dolphins whatever not very good podcasting but um he just ran the ball like 30 something times from the quarterback position and still beat south carolina um debo samuel scored on the first play of the game and then south carolina couldn't get anything on offense and i think they beat them like 17 to six. Um, so yeah, I think that actually is the story is maybe this limits Kentucky's offensive production, but they'll probably still score. I don't know, 14 to 20 points, something like that. And the question is, can South Carolina's offense um, do, do enough against the Kentucky deeps, which is still very solid. I mean, they're, they're missing some people too. I know a couple of their linebackers are one is definitely out once questionable. Um, but yeah, can what what do we think about this, how South Carolina's offense matches up to their defense? I guess my main question for South Carolina's offense is what did you, it's not I'm not breaking it. This isn't rocket science, but what did you actually learn from the last two games? Like if the Charlotte game was your run fix, they ran for almost 300 yards, and the SC State game was your pass fix, they threw the ball 30 times against an FCS opponent when they really didn't need to. All right, what's actually fixed? Which one of those fixed more? Which one fixed better? And like. You are going to have to be balanced to win this game. I don't think there's a scenario where they throw the ball 40 times or run the ball 40 times and win this game. I don't think. Um, but what's fixed? And also, how do you get the ball to these playmakers? You know, we, we all know Kentucky's playmakers are going to get the football a lot. You mentioned the three receivers um, and Chris Rodriguez. Where's South Carolina's playmakers getting the ball down the field? Whether that's Josh Finn, whether that's Jaheim Bell, um, Antoine Wells has been... I guess he led the team in catches last week, but in general, he's been a little bit quieter um, over the last, since the Arkansas game where he kind of broke out. Um, what is the path to getting these guys the ball? And how are you exploiting a Kentucky defense that's going to be down at least one starting linebacker, like you said? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that you have to start by trying to assess a run with Marshawn Lloyd. I don't know how much success that's going to have, but I think you need to probably be a little bit stubborn about it even uh, in the first couple of series, just trying to establish that run. Um, because over the last two weeks, again, you're paying, playing in your opponents and everything, but that's really what made everything else work. Uh, you, you think about some of the deep shots that Rattler was able to hit last week. A lot of them came off play action passes. Um, a lot of them were in the middle of the field. You have linebackers and safeties having to creep up to try to stop the run. So I really think that that's really how it starts. I don't think that you 
go into this with the game plan that you had against Arkansas or even Georgia, where you're coming out and expecting Spencer Rattler to just chuck it around and, you know, try to make something good happen early. Um, I think this is a team that you can match up, play straight up, match up against, um, and keep it close uh, into the second half without, you know, feeling like you have to press and, and score 28 points well, in the first a, half or something. It's interesting. Satterfield said, and I was actually surprised to hear a coach say at this point blank, he said he scripts his first 10 plays um, yesterday in the press conferences. So when you kind of extrapolate that, against SC State, that was a 5-5 split. Against Charlotte, that was an 8-2 run split. But against SC State, you remember the second play of the game was a deep shot to Xavier Leggett, and um, ball went through his hands, was intercepted on a tip drill. Um Satterfield said he wants to take shots early. He was he was talking about how you can just get in such a flow, such a let's get a first down mode that you look up and you're 20 plays in and you haven't stretched the defense yet. Um, so I do still think you're going to see shots, but that goes back to my question of, okay, who are the shots going to and how are you actually trying to manufacture those shots? Um, it can't just be throwing the ball deep for the sake of throwing the ball deep because that – like I said, I th- you said, I think that takes away Marshawn Lloyd and what this offense actually seems to be trending in the right direction on. Sure, yeah. I'm not saying you don't try to hit the the big play on occasion or whatever, but actually, I mean, if anything has been proven over Stoops' time in Kentucky, they're very good at limiting big plays. Um, they're going to make you earn it. Um, that doesn't mean you don't try, obviously, even for the sake of just opening up the run game a little bit by – you know, hitting a play action deep shot every now and then or, or whatever uh, to keep those safeties backed off a little. But um, I don't think the path to winning this game is that you're going to I, – I would love to be wrong, but this is just the way that Kentucky's looked for the light. I don't think that the path is that you're going to, you know, just <laughs> hit them for deep shots and, and, and score long touchdowns uh, because they're just too disciplined or they've been too disciplined. For that, um, I think you're going to have to grind it out a little bit. You're going to have to play soft defense yourself. And if you're going to win this game, it's going to be like 21-17 or something like that. No, I'm completely with you. I wrote this a little bit in my preview, which is going to go on the website later this week. This is going to look a lot like last year's game. That was a 16-10 Kentucky win. That was low scoring. That was physical. Um, that's something that everybody in Presser has talked about this week, just how physical Kentucky is. Um if South Carolina winning this game, it's limited possessions. It's going to be cold, by the way. Temperatures can be down in the 30s. Um, I don't know what that factors in, but you know, you know, offense gets sloppy sometimes with that as well. Um, this is a limited possessions. Don't make mistakes. Absolutely can't afford a turnover. Um, have to be sound on special teams, like you said. And yeah, I think if South Carolina can put up, let's say 24 in this game, I think you have to feel pretty good about your chances of winning. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I mean, when they scored 24 points against Kentucky, I, I would have to go back and look, but it feels like it's been a while. <laughs> um, they, yeah, home away, whatever. It, it seems like it's been a while. The other big question here is, can they finally get over the hump uh, on the road in the SEC? And I know Beamer tried to be like, you know, we didn't lose at Arkansas because we weren't prepared to be on the road and, and whatever. I, I mean, I think that that's true. I think Arkansas is probably a better team than South Carolina is at the moment, especially 
with a healthy KJ Jefferson, which they unfortunately don't have this weekend. But um, yeah, do you, what did you gather from talking to the coaches throughout the week this week as far as their preparation for a road game that, as you've noted several times uh, since the summer, really, they just have had a lot of trouble getting off to a good start in and then never really give themselves a chance in. Yeah, it, it goes back to what, and I'm not trying to give away my whole preview. I wrote about this a little bit too. It goes back to what Shane Beamer has talked about, which is maturity with this team. Okay, he mentioned that in the summer, this was a more mature team. He mentioned it all last week, that this team handled it really well when they had their game move two days, and they just took care of business against SC State, even on a Thursday. Okay, being a mature football team means regardless of distractions, regardless of the other team's quarterback situation, you go on the road, play four quarters of close to mistake-free football in a game where you're going to have to, and you find a way to – I I hesitate to say win, but just because Kentucky is still really talented, they are still even without Levis favored. This can't be 21-3. You cannot get what you did against Arkansas. That was a 21-3 game. You were too far behind the eight ball. This can't be Tennessee last year where it was 28 nothing before the first quarter was out. You are completely out of excuses to not at least start this game playing even football for the first quarter, quarter and a half. Yeah, and I mean, up a, a decent question as far as they are on the road. They're on the road against a ranked team. Granted, maybe without their starting quarterback, but they're on the road against a ranked team. Um, they're playing a team that's beat them more times than not over the last decade. Um, so is... And we we've used this term a couple times, but is this kind of like a make or break or must win game, or are you content if you're a South Carolina fan, um, just like looking good on the road in the SEC and losing a a close one later? So I think I decided on the fly right here. This is breaking news. The term I'm more comfortable with than must win would be a crossroads game. Because you're going one of two ways after this. You are going into the bye. You are going 14 days off of a game, either at four and two, three game on winning streak, first time since the Muschamp era that's happened. You are set up, set up, set yourself up for a second half where you still get to play Vanderbilt and Missouri in a wobbling Texas A&M team. Um, you are four and two at the bye, feeling good, three game winning streak, or you are zero and three in SEC play. You still can't beat Kentucky. You still haven't won a conference road game under Beamer. You have 14 days to sit on that. Um, and you probably lost to a backup quarterback in that case, too. So must win. I'll let fans litigate that. Um, but I think crossroads is probably the better. This is good. There's a fork in the road here Saturday, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, in the episode description, I called it a golden opportunity. Um, and to me, that's, that's what it is. I don't think that your season's over if you lose it. Um, I, I, the, the game I keep bringing up from last year is heading into the Missouri game last year. It felt like that was a must win. If you were going to make a bowl, it felt like there's pretty much no path forward. If you, if you lost Missouri, because you still had Florida, Auburn, Clemson left. Um, and then after that, you somehow, or maybe Florida was before that. I don't remember, but either way, when you're looking at the schedule, Missouri seemed like a more winnable game than any of those three. Um, and taking a game from Florida and from Auburn, you still make your bowl game. So I, I don't know how the rest of the season is going to play out if you lose this game. Um, you know, maybe something surprising happens, but this feels like a golden opportunity, primetime game, SEC road game on, on the road. I mean, SEC 
ranked road game um, to see some momentum, uh, have sort of a defining win. It would definitely be the best regular season win of the Shane Beamer era. Um, I know Florida probably felt like that at the time or whatever, but this this would be more impressive to me. Um, and yeah, then you're going to the back half of the schedule, going into the bye week, four and two with a lot of more, a lot more uh, opportunities ahead of you from there. Yeah, I think that's what you kind of have to. You're, what you're setting up here with this fork in the road is what conversations are we having next time we're on here, right? Are we talking about being zero and three and everything's still not working, or are we talking about you know, if they beat A and M, then they're five and two going into A and M in Missouri or um, Missouri and Vanderbilt. And you're talking about maybe seven and two. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the types of conversations we can have are just drastically different depending on what happens Saturday night. Either way. Yeah, I think that's that's really what it comes down to. And I know that if the offense <laughs> struggles again this week after you know looking good against inferior opponents or at least better against inferior opponents. Um, the the same complaint to come right back out um yeah i mean and especially if you follow that up in the bye week losing a in-state wide receiver who pretty much said yep. that he prefers tennessee's offense um uh-huh. so you know it's this is a pretty critical ga- critical game for south carolina and a critical game for Marcus Satter from the offense i think look i don't want to use the term um, any injury updates oh, uh, in this one yeah, so I was, what I was just saying, I don't want to use the term biggest no, game of the season. I think Carolina fans still think that's Georgia, still think that's Clemson. That's fine. I get that. I think it's your biggest swing game of the year, like just in terms of what it could create in either direction. Um, as for the injuries, it does feel like South Carolina is pretty healthy right now. Um, Shane Deemer said on his Sunday teleconference that Dylan Wanham, Darius Rush, and David Spaulding all practiced. I saw Spaulding going through warm-ups for the SC State game. He looked fully mobile to me. Maybe they just kept him out another week, but he was in uniform. He was on the dress roster, all that. The only question I would say for Carolina right now that we know of is Boogie Huntley. He went out in the first quarter of the South Carolina State game, did not return. He was in street clothes in the second half. Beamer has not said that he practiced. He did not mention him at all on Tuesday. Maybe we get more, what is it, three hours from now for Carolina calls. Um, Either way, I think that's probably trending towards Boogie Huntley not playing just by the way he's talked about it or not talked about it and how he's handled other players this year. It's kind of got similar vibes to the way we were. T- he was talking about, you know, Cam Smith or RJ Roderick going into the Georgia game. So I think this, that's probably trending towards no Boogie Huntley, um, which means you need a bigger game from Tonka Hemingway. You need a bigger game from TJ Sanders, MJ Webb. Um, if you get more of Nick Barrett in the game, maybe, um, cause you know, that if, We've talked a lot about Kentucky's injuries maybe playing well for a few things South Carolina wants to do. But if you're down a starting defensive tackle, that kind of feeds right into Chris Rodriguez and what Kentucky wants to do. So that would be the one injury concern. But other than Huntley, I think this should be a close to full strength team going to Lexington Saturday. Yeah, which this is something that you wrote about earlier this week, too, on GamecockScoop.com, if people want to check that out. Um you come in about as healthy as you've been all season outside of Huntley, like you mentioned. Um, but really you're even in better shape than that because, because of the injuries, you have people like Nick Emmon, Worry, DQ Smith, Bam Martin, Scott, um, you know, folk, you, you mentioned, um, talking, Tonka Hemingway, 
maybe people that had question marks heading into the season because we hadn't seen them in a while or they're young or whatever that are, have proven to to be pretty good um, and pretty important pieces for this defense. And even if you get some back and you can rotate through some depth and stuff, I still expect to see pretty much all of them on Saturday now that uh, they've stepped up and proven themselves. You're going to need them. It's, you know, this is a road game. You can only take 70. This is not a full dress roster like you have for a home game where you can dress walk on. Not that walk ons be played as much in an SEC game anyway, but this is a 70 man travel roster. You are going on the road. Um, they are as healthy as they've been, with the caveat, of course, no Mo Kaba, no Jordan Strawn. I mean, I think you do have to at least mention that because if you're going to talk about healthy as they've been, well, you are down two defenders who you thought were going to be starters for the season. So that still puts the onus on everybody else. Um, especially again at linebacker, you're going to need a big game from Sherrod Green, from Brad Johnson, from Debo Williams. That was something Shane Beamer talked about on the Sunday teleconference that he likes the development of his linebacker group. Um, that's where it's going to be for South Carolina. That, and I and I also wrote a, wrote a little bit about this too for the weekend. Right now, the bottom two teams in the SEC in sacks are South Carolina and Kentucky, and they're close to bottom of the country. They're both bottom 15 in all of FBS. Um, Sacks are going to be at a premium. Both of these teams have struggled to get them a lot. But also the way these offenses have struggled, especially maybe Kentucky with a new quarterback or South Carolina where they've gotten behind the chains at times this year and had third down woes. A sack. I'm I'm serious. Like a sack that kills a drive in a game with limited limited possessions could be crucial. And I don't know if either one's going to get, but this needs to be a Jordan Birch game, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, I have a note here for you know, who's the defensive X factor for South Carolina if they find a way to win this game. This needs to be a Jordan Birch game. You need you're going to need a sack at some point, I think, to win this game. You can't have a zero against this Kentucky offensive line. Yeah, a banged up Kentucky offensive line. So their mm-hmm. uh, starting right tackle Jeremy Flax is going to be out most likely for this game. Um, that's what I heard from the Kentucky rivals folks. Uh, and it's not like their offensive line was playing particularly good even with him in the lineup. Um, so there is some opportunities here for sacks. I mean, they're giving up uh, a good bit of sacks. I don't know. I don't know if you have the exact number, but I, I know it's high. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're kind of going week on week and hoping that you're slightly stronger <laughs> uh, in that scenario. And I do, you know. South Carolina's offensive line has struggled at times, but I trust them to hold up against a, you know, not that intimidating Kentucky front that hasn't created that many sacks more than I trust Kentucky's offensive line to hold up against South Carolina's front. Um, so I, I, I do think that that could be a big factor. Um, I just looked because I, w- I was unsure what I, what I had put, but if I'm thinking final predictions for this game, game score predictions, which you can go and give yours if you want. Obviously, you'll have your your final one next week. But um, I, I said 27 to 21 Kentucky whenever I put in um, my other site article for catsillustrated.com, which is the rival site. And that was before I knew anything about Will Levis, was expecting him to miss any time or anything. So... What? How many points? The question then becomes: How many points is Will Levis worth? Um, do I say he's worth seven points, and then you got a twenty-one twenty sort of South Carolina win? I think I am going to pull the up pick the upset now, um, 
whereas before I had picked Kentucky to win but not cover. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think maybe we're looking at 21-20 nail-biter sort of game for South Carolina. I'm going to say that Will Levis is worth seven points for my original um, prediction. Yeah. Um, I'll say that before I knew about Levis, I had a 30-21 to 21 Kentucky in there. Um, undecided on what I have after Levis, but if you're going to put me on the spot, I got to be honest, um, and Gamecock fans aren't going to like this, this is still a prove-it game for South Carolina, and I still don't think they've proven it yet. Kentucky can move the ball on you with these receivers, with their running game, without Will Levis. I I think I still have to pick Kentucky, even with everything going on. As long, until I see South Carolina win a road game against an SEC team, I don't think I can pick it. Um, I'll say 21-19 Kentucky. Maybe a late two-point conversion stop. Um, yeah, and I, I can still see that, right? Like, uh, you know, South Carolina tries a two-point conversion earlier in the game, doesn't get it, and then has to go again to tie it up and doesn't get it or something like that. Um, now, I know that it's a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's a SEC road game because we've talked a little bit about next week, or not next week, but Texas A&M coming off the bye um, at home, and you're actually feeling like decent about that game. So does the extra couple of days that South Carolina got to prepare in this one, having the Thursday night game last week, does that have any effect in your mind? It doesn't hurt, um, but also how much of that was preparing for Will Levis, you know? <laughs> um, I think that's the other that's the other angle sure. here. Um yeah, I mean, it could. That, that's a good point. It, it do. I think you said this, you said this the other day. Um, there are a lot of factors here that do trend towards this being a game where it finally clicks for South Carolina, whether that's Kentucky being down Jacquez Jones at linebacker, whether it's Kentucky being down a starter on the offensive line. Obviously, the Levis news broke last night. and I, I'm confident saying even if he plays, he's still not going to be 100%. So this does kind of trend towards South Carolina figuring it out, but I still need to see them figure it out. Um, and if they win the game, I'll come on here Sunday or Monday. We'll see when we can get a post game out with me traveling back to Columbia. And I'll say I'm wrong, and you could have a lot of conversations about four and two at the bye week, and you could talk about way more fun stuff than three and three at the bye week, I guess. Um, but I need to see it first. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I picked Kentucky initially. Um, I just think that until I see this new quarterback, I guess, um, I'm going to say that Will Levis has enough of an impact. You know, maybe this new quarterback throws a costly interception or um, I don't know. I mean, Will Levis has been a little turnover prone lately anyway, so maybe not. But uh, maybe they get a lot more conservative with him in the line with the with the other guy in the lineup and sort of limit some of those uh swing play opportunities we'll, we'll have to see but i tend to think um kentucky's offense is going to struggle a little bit more i think that kind of offense lines up better with this kentucky defense than um they have in the past uh, i tend to think that spencer rattler probably can hurt kentucky second more than jackson dart did um which is maybe crazy to say but that's I, if he plays the way 
they just played the last couple of weeks, which that is something we haven't talked a ton about. I, I, we, you know, spent a lot of those three games talking about rather making a crazy, cool, or uh, impressive play, um, and then a boneheaded sort of play. But the last couple of weeks, he really didn't as much. Um, I thought he looked like he was in better control. Again, got to keep quality of opponent in mind and stuff. So I am interested to see now that we're back on the road in the SEC if that comfortability that he seemed to have with the offense and um, decision-making translates over the next several games. Yeah, I mean, you're still waiting on that front too. And I understand. I don't think Spencer really made a mistake in either Charlotte or SC State. You can, if you wanted to split hairs, you could say he underthrew, I think, one of the deep balls against SC State. Um, the Leggett pick, the first one, wasn't his fault, but also wasn't had underthrown. And he didn't get the team to the line of scrimmage on that Amarian Brown play at the sideline in Charlotte when the clock was running. But that's nitpicking, like compared to what we were talking about the first three games. He's played well the last two weeks, the stepping up in the pocket thing, which you mentioned even yourself before the coaches did before the season started is something that he needed to work on. And it seems like he has. Um, my question is more with the play calling and how you're getting the ball to these weapons than it is with Rattler. Um, I think if you put the ball out there, Rattler can make throws. He had a couple nice ones, kind of layered throws to the sideline against Charlotte and SC State. Um it's boring. It's what our message boards obsess over. It's not breaking any new ground, but at some point, this needs you need to see what Marcus Satterfield looks like in a big road game too. This is a prove a game for everybody, not just the players or Shane Beamer. Yeah, and to be fair, going back to that extra time, um, coming off bye week last year, going into the whole game um, last year, the, that extra time did seem to help the offense. So it'll be interesting to see if those couple of extra days make any impact. And then of course you got the bye week after this. So this is a stretch was, to get better. Was it, um, like was we it the about. Florida game last and year was the one that came out of the bye. <laughs> was it last year against Florida? That was out of the bye week where they scored. I guess it would have been like, it was 40 to 10, wasn't it? Or 40 to 17. Was that off the bye against Florida last year? I'm like 97% sure that that's what it was. Okay. So, can if you want to look um, at it that way, go then, ahead with whatever you're going to say because I'm pretty sure. If you want to look at it that way, then you look at extra preparation time games, right? You have an opener last year, you have a bye last year, you have a bowl last year, you have an opener this year. Technically, four and zero in those. I mean, one of those opponents is Eastern Illinois, and another, and um, so maybe throw out Eastern Illinois, but scored forty off a of bye last year against Florida, scored thirty eight off bowl prep against UNC. Um, they won the game against Georgia State. So if you want to look at this as like a mini buy coming off SC State, um, his track record in those has been good the last two years for the offense. Yeah, just confirmed though it was coming off the buy last week that the Florida win was. So um, yeah, we'll have to see if that continues to translate. I mean, the only one of those that was a quote-unquote road game was the bowl game, which isn't a true road, road game. But um, any national games you wanted to talk about i mean i definitely want to talk about tcu kansas got some game yeah let's Lawrence, talk tcu kansas but, um, let's do it <laughs> no hit it unfortunately here for unfortunately i think that cinderella's uh slipper is about to fall off or whatever <laughs> you want to however you want to uh, frame it um tcu like this is what i'm betting for sure uh, if you can get TCU minus six or minus seven, smash that. I think probably going to win by like 14 or 20 
which that's too bad um, because I have enjoyed Kansas's little run. I still think that they probably find a way to win at least one or two more and make a bowl. And uh, it would be cool if somehow does South Carolina still have a Big Twelve bowl tie-in with like the Liberty Bowl I or believe, something? I mean, the SEC. Yeah, I still believe it's. I believe it's the Liberty Bowl because that's where Mississippi State played Texas Tech last year in the Leech Bowl. So, yeah, yeah you I would, could, in I theory, would... have a South Carolina-Kansas Bowl game in Memphis. If if South Carolina doesn't exceed expectations and just win six or seven games, I would love to see that. That would be really fun. I would enjoy a lot. That actually is a good thought. We were um, – you and I were talking – it's too early for it. We can do it later in the year. We were kind of kicking around bowl possibilities, I think, after the Charlotte game once they got back to two and two, and that was – we talked about that. We talked about the tie-in in Vegas with the SEC Pac-12 Bowl. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that TCU offense, man. I mean, I don't know if you watched any of that game last week. Um, they put their foot off the gas. They could have scored 70 on Oklahoma if they wanted to. Um, I just think that's going to be too much for Kansas. But I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's a noon game. I can catch some of it with South Carolina Kentucky at night. Yeah. Which TCU's defense is fine. Um I don't think that they're anything special either. So I do think Kansas will score. This is also their strength, but uh, I just think, I don't think they can keep up, honestly. Yeah. And then also in the noon window, we've got, you got ten- in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think there? Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I was about to go next. Um, I mean, that spreads kind of suspiciously low uh so it's just tennessee minus three at lsu probably because it's at lsu but it's also a noon game so that takes away some of the fear of tiger stadium um i i feel like i mean i see that we actually picked opposite here i picked tennessee you picked lsu so i don't know if you want to give your justification to me it it seemed like tennessee can do a lot more damage than say like auburn did and they struggled pretty hard with auburn but yeah, you know what? That's just one of those, um, I don't want to say gut things, but I do think even with the noon kick, that's a tough, tough, tough road environment. Um, LSU is sneaky 4-1 and one right now since the Florida State extra point debacle, or 4-0 and oh since then, 4-1 and one on the season. Um, I still don't think the line play is quite what it needs to be for LSU to, I don't know, do anything serious this year. But you talk about getting in a shootout, right? That's what it has to be against Tennessee. Um, we saw Florida almost pull that off. And I think LSU's offense can be as good as Florida's offense. Um, and then you get that at home and you might be able to squeak a 38, 35 or something for LSU, which is kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, but I also would not be surprised if Hendon Hooker just went in there, threw for 400 and Tennessee won by 17. Yeah, that's. I don't know that I agree that LSU's offense is as dangerous as Florida's offense because when Anthony Richardson's on, which I thought he played a pretty good game against Tennessee, um, Florida's offense is pretty electric. I mean, we saw that against Utah too, um, which has a pretty good defense. It's just whether or not Anthony Richardson comes to play or not. Um, I don't know if what's LSU's quarterback, Max Johnson, or I don't know that he has that same upside. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. And you talk about, you know, you're starting to set up Tennessee's season a little bit. Um, I believe they have Bama next week coming to Knoxville. If they can find if they can find a way to beat LSU Saturday, you're talking about a, probably a top five Tennessee-Alabama game at Neyland next week. Yeah, but then I think they'll get totally exposed. Yep, but I agree. That's where, I mean, that, uh, Joy- that should be – that's where, that's that's where, where game day will probably go. That'll definitely the be the CBS game. ball comes in. 
That's where your joyless murder ball comes in for Alabama. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of Alabama, huh? speak. Speaking of Bama, they have to A&M. Yeah. They have Texas A&M. Um, it's a huge spread, 24 points. Um, I maybe can give Texas A&M enough of a benefit of a doubt to only lose by like 20 or 17. Um, but I don't really expect this one to be all that competitive, maybe beyond the first quarter. I'll be honest. I won't see any of it. I'll be in the stadium in Lexington. But I think Saban wants to drop a bomb on Jimbo this week, and I think he's going to. Um I just, yeah, I, I watched AM and Mississippi State. I watched like three quarters of that game last week. AM was bad in all three phases. They couldn't, they were shut out in the first half. Defense gave up 42. They had two kicks blocked even in special teams. Um, I don't think anything is working there right now in College Station on any front. Um, and I think when you play against a team like Alabama, you can't, if you can't even have, you know, Arkansas last week at least had a couple of things working on the running game. You know, Rocket Sanders, KJ Jefferson. I don't think anything's working for AM where they could cause a problem. And I think Saban wants to make it hurt too. Yeah, I I the only thing that gives me any pause is uh you know, I can the backup quarterback. I mean, he can run the ball around a lot, but is he as dangerous as Bryce Young in the passing game? You know, Texas AM's defense isn't that bad. Um so maybe that limits the amount of damage that Saban can do, but I, I agree mindset wise, I'm sure he wants to to cover this one. So if it if he gets the opportunity, um, I don't think he's gonna hold back. Um let's see you got Arkansas and Mississippi State. Unfortunately KJ Jefferson is likely to miss. He hasn't been ruled out yet, but we're starting to get good at reading coaches speak and Pittman said yep. something about like uh, he didn't practice Wednesday. He's got mild symptoms of a concussion, whatever. It doesn't sound like he's going to play. Um, and if he doesn't, I think Mississippi State wins. Um, I, I have Mississippi State winning, but not covering the spread six and a half. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be to see what Arkansas does on offense without KJ Jefferson because he kind of makes that whole thing work. Yeah, and Mississippi State. I think a lot of people kind of brushed them aside after they dumped that game at LSU, which they had to lead in in the second half and just couldn't close. They're also four and one right now. They also blew out AM last week. That's a, I don't think the record's going to show it at the end of the year. They still have Bama and they still have Georgia as their East crossover and Kentucky as their other East crossover where they play next week in Lexington. So maybe it won't show, but I think this is a pretty good Mississippi state team. Um, I do think they're going to beat Arkansas Saturday, especially without Jefferson and playing Starkville. Yeah, um, we got. I like how you described this in the podcast doc. Harson's last stand with Auburn and Georgia. <laughs> Georgia is a thirty-point favorite. Thirty. Um, to to me, this feels like one of those like quintessential weird rivalry college football where I find it's going to be difficult for Georgia to cover thirty points, but. It also wouldn't totally shock me. Um, but yeah, if I was betting, I'd probably pick Auburn to win or lose by 24 or 27 <laughs> instead of 30. Normally, I'd agree with you, but I think Georgia's angry right now, both after the way they played against Kent State, where they, let, where they let them hang around for three quarters and that they were trailing Missouri for 56 minutes last week. Um, I think this is an angry Georgia team with a very vulnerable opponent coming to Athens, and that's going to get ugly. 
One of the more fun games of the day is Utah UCLA. Um, Utah is favored by three at UCLA. We were our staff. I'm looking at our staff picks, which will come out tomorrow, um, tomorrow evening on GameCocksGroup.com, and we're evenly split. So I have UCLA, you have Utah, Perry has UCLA, and Steven has Utah. Um, and I don't feel good about my UCLA pick. I don't know how good you feel about your Utah pick. No, I don't. That's uh, it's definitely definitely varying styles there. UCLA looked really good um, against Washington, and Utah's defenses look good back nicely after that Florida loss. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I have no idea which one's going to go. I just picked UCLA because they have a little bit of momentum here, and you know maybe the offense can get something going. Um, I pick Utah. I think they have better line play. I think that decides tight games, but I think it's a coin flip. Um, I also don't think the road thing's that big of a deal at the half-empty Rose Bowls it was for Utah going to the Swamp on week one. So I think Utah finds a way with the line play, but two good teams. It's going to be a good game. If anything tells you the um, how far it, the river rivalry has fallen, at least this oh, year, God. especially if both teams are missing their starting quarterback, which is a possibility. No, Quinn uh, we play. we didn't even tell that this week, but um, what did you say? I said Quinn Ewers is going to play. I don't know if you saw that. That got reported this morning by um, I think Pete Thamel dropped it at ESPN. I did not see that. So, I mean, I think Texas is favored by seven. I would probably take that, especially if Dylan Gabriel doesn't yeah. play and Quinn Ewers does. Yeah, and That's what it sounds like is going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's Texas already moved. Uh, I don't know what it was before, but I think I saw a Texas minus seven this morning um, after the news dropped that Quinn, Quinn Ewers is going to play. Um, yeah, I think it's Texas. That Oklahoma defense is just bad right now. Better than how ever say it. <laughs> Any other national perspective games that you wanted to hit on that we didn't talk about? Mm, running through the schedule in my head right now. I think that about covers it. Um, I don't know. Florida, Missouri is an SEC East game. Two teams Carolina is going to play later this year. That's happening at noon. I think Florida probably wins in the swamp. I think Mizzou probably emptied the tank last week trying to beat Georgia, but that's happening. Um, what else is in the SEC? Vanderbilt, Ole Miss. That should be Ole Miss staying undefeated, I think. In Nashville... I think we hit the whole SEC with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it should be a very good, well-distributed college football Saturday. So while you're waiting around for South Carolina and Kentucky to kick off, there's lots of entertaining games and uh, even some West Coast games that I think kick off pretty late. Uh, you got Oregon, Arizona State, uh, you know. That's not going to be that entertaining, I guess. Washington State Southern Cal playing this weekend. I don't know what time that is, but um, yeah, across Probably the country, you got some fun games. Yeah, I don't think Wazoo's as good as that four and run record. Um, I think USC is still really, really good. Um, I honestly don't know what time that game is. I'm assuming it's a night game, and we'll be busy with South Carolina, Kentucky anyway. But. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will be back here on Sunday uh, or maybe Saturday after the game. We'll have to figure out what works for you as you're traveling back from from Kentucky. But uh, we'll catch up, you know, and review how the Gamecocks versus the Wildcats or at the Wildcats went this weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. 
chat, definitely check out GameTalkScoop.com during the game. We'll have some live thoughts on what's happening in the game. We usually have a couple game threads going. Um, you and I both pretty much immediately react, um, have all of the post-game press conference coverage, all that good stuff. So stick with us on Saturday, and we'll see you next time.